Welcome in, everybody, to another edition of Texans All Access Summer Celebration Style. That's right. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst and sideline reporter for your Houston Texans. And if you haven't been with us the first few nights, where you been? Oh, you might have been on vacation. I can understand that. Fourth being yesterday. We had a fun show yesterday. We had the All-American Dude Draft. That was something that Mark, Drew, and I did uh, back this offseason, and it was fun. It was just kind of on a whim, really. About 15 minutes before that show, we came up with the All-American Dude. I just came up with that concept. We ran it. It was awesome, and we played that for you fittingly on July 4th, the most American of all days. Today, boy, we got plenty for you. Mark Vandermeer and I did a podcast for Vandermeer's View. You can get Mark's podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn. Vandermeer's View is fantastic, and one day – he wasn't totally sure what he wanted to do, and he thought he might have to go without a podcast. He said, let's just you and I do it. He goes, okay, let's do stories from the booth or the sideline, depending on where you are. And obviously, I'm down on the sideline. He's up in the booth. But we had some funny stories to share, so we'll have that for you later in the show. We'll have Roland Ramirez, who has rehabbed the best and brightest in this building. He is the Senior Director of Rehab Services and Associate Head Trainer here for the Texans, and he does a tremendous job. He did a great interview with D.P. Sidhu for the Deep Slant podcast, and we'll have a snippet of that for you as well. But we're going to kick off the show with our first time talking to special teams coordinator Brad Seeley. Brad's been around the block a little bit. He spent time with the New England Patriots and most recently with the Oakland soon-to-be Las Vegas Raiders before John Gruden took over. And with an opportunity here and Patriots in his background, somebody that obviously Bill O'Brien has known very well, Brad was brought to the Texans to take over as special teams coordinator. And there's so much that has taken place in the special teams world since Brad took over in January. He was with the team at the Senior Bowl, so got a chance to coach on the field with the coaches, which was pretty cool to watch, to see new coaches who you had never seen before and then see how they work. And it was fun watching Brad and Work, Brad worked with the specialists and the returners. And to do that during OTAs and mini camps, that was fun as well. It's a different world now at special teams, especially with the kickoff rules. And we talked about that with Brad and our conversation with him. Starts with what about the Texans, why the Texans, kickoff rules, and how special teams has changed over the years. Texans special teams coordinator Brad Seeley with us in the Hyundai Texans radio studio. How's it going, Coach? It's going really well. You know, it uh, love spring practice because you can come off every every practice and say it was awesome. <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> yeah. There's there's no video evidence on TV, so we can say we did really well. I was watching you coach today, though, thinking you must be chomping at the bit to get real live in pads action to see how this kickoff stuff works see what you have here to work with overall no doubt you know i think uh the preseason is so huge in special teams you know because we got a lot of young guys those guys got to learn what to do how to do it and kind of a game situation so it's hard to get that done in a practice field especially when we're out there in our pajamas yeah (laughs) coach i often think about this and i don't know if this is often talked about the transition from preseason special teams to week one regular season special teams. How tough a transition is that? Because like you said, you got a lot of young guys fighting for spots on rosters. Those guys that are on special teams may not make the roster. So now all of a sudden you get to week one, you got a lot of guys that may have not been practicing together. How tough is that transition from preseason to week one special teams? It's huge. Uh, 
in in special teams, what we say is the first three weeks and the last three weeks of the season, you'll see more big plays on special teams than you will any other time of the year, just because you got guys out there that haven't played, yeah, or guys that haven't done much because they're the veteran guys that okay, we need you now. You got to play because uh, we thought this guy was going to make our team and he didn't, you know, or somebody got an injury there at the end and we had to let that guy go and we kept somebody else and. So there's a lot of uh, mixing and matching there early in the season. So it's uh, you hold your breath a little bit. Yeah. Special teams coordinator Brad Seeley with us on Texans Radio. What about the kickoff rule? What can you share with us about some of the challenges or aspects about it you have to undertake so far? Well, you know, I think it's, it's like anything. It, with a new rule, it's the unknown. You know, I don't think we know exactly what's going to happen. We're trying to simulate as much as we can in practice with the kickoff players, for instance, They've simplified that in a way, but there's no run-up. So now it's it's how fast can you go from a standing start almost. Mm-hmm. And so that's going to help the kickoff return. But now we've put all those blockers up closer. We don't have wedge players, so we've taken that element out of the game. So I think there's just a lot of unknowns. You know, it's to me, we were talking about the other day, I'm, you know, your biggest concern is you get to uh, the first game of the season and you watch that other team and you go, Oh, I never thought about that. <laughs> you know, it's stuff that you just don't know. Yeah. Do you anticipate personnel changes? You talked about the wedge guys. We used to see those big four linemen, and then that got reduced to two. How, do you anticipate personnel changes, as in more DBs and linebackers versus tight ends, big guys? How do you look at that? Very much so. You know, those wedge players used to always come from your backup defensive line, your backup offensive line. And, in fact, uh, in the uh, early in the spring, before the rule got passed, we had those guys in our kickoff return meeting, and then the rule got changed, and it was like, hey, fellas, you guys can go. You're not going to play mm-hmm. anymore. You know, so it's it's going to be different. It's going to be a change, and, you know, who can adapt best to those changes is going to have an advantage early in the season. What about return guys this time of year and early in camp? What are you looking for from them? Because that's another when-the-lights-go-on kind of situation. It really is, you know, but the first thing you got to find out is can they catch the ball? Mm-hmm. And how good are they at catching the ball? Because if you can't do that, you can't be the returner, whether it's punt or kickoff. So, and you got to be a guy that's got a cool head. You got to have a cool head. You can't get nervous back there. You got to understand the situations. And some of that you can find out in the spring, but most of it you don't find out till the lights go on and the scoreboard's on. Coach, when you're looking at a core four special team or a guy that's on all four, maybe he's just on one special <clears throat> team, who knows? But what is the biggest attribute you're looking for in that kind of player? That's a great question. You know, I think uh, we we talk about three things. You got to either be smart, you got to be tough, you got to be fast, and you could have all three. Yeah. Now now you got something special. Right. But you better have at least one of those things. Yeah. And if you don't have any of those characteristics or traits, uh, you're going to have a hard time in a kicking game. Shane Leckler has been in the league for a hundred years now, and what do you say to him? Because I look at golfers, they always have a swing coach, so does he kind of need some swing coaching sometimes? How do you handle a guy like Leckler? That's a great question, too, you know, in the sense that, uh, shoot, this guy's been doing it forever, and he's been doing it at a high level for a long time. But what you try to do is you just try to watch his swing, and mm-hmm. I ask, I always ask those guys, because I've coached a lot of older guys, and, hey, what's the things you worry about most? I'll watch those for you, and I'll let you know if you're doing them. Okay. You know, and so I'm, I'm really just kind of coaching off of, what he thinks his problems are, because he already knows. He knows, you know, he can tell you immediately when he hits a bad ball what happened for the most part. But sometimes it'll be, well, you could have done this maybe, and 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, maybe that's true. You know, so I think it's just another set of eyes on a guy's form and his technique, and you just try to put a little input in there if he's uh, willing. And Shane's great. He's he's always open to coaching and listening and uh, trying to do what anything we ask him to do. Coach, being here in Houston, the decision to come here, what made the Houston Texans attractive to you? Well, I think, number one, it's the organization. I think you got a really good organization. Uh, Bill O'Brien, I coached with him in New England. Uh, I know what kind of person he is. I know what kind of guy he is. I know what kind of football coach he is. And that's the kind of guy I wanted to work for. And so that made it easy. And uh, I felt like uh, with a quarterback, you know, I'm, as a special teams coach, you know, I don't coach a quarterback. That's probably the only guy I don't coach. But I'm always looking to see if we have one. You know, <laughs> it helps. Yes, yeah. I, I understand. It doesn't matter how good you are in the kicking game if you don't yeah. have a quarterback. And we got a quarterback. Yeah. So mm-hmm. uh, that, that was the intriguing thing to me. Along those lines, having a quarterback like that, does that change the philosophy in some sense in the way that you approach things on, on special teams at all? Uh, you know, I, I think it just changes the situations. Yeah. You know, we could uh, – it, it, again, it depends on how good your offense is. You know, if your offense is great, now you're going to be kicking more field goals than right. you're a punt. So you're going to work on that area maybe a little bit more. You know, the field position is going to change because your offense is moving the ball. Now you're going to punt when you do punt, maybe from the midfield area. Mm-hmm. So you got to work more on plus plus 50 punting. Uh, you know, so those those situations change versus, you know, if you don't have a quarterback, you got to work on a lot of punts <laughs> backed up. Yeah. Two more for you. You've coached a lot of kickers. What about the mental aspect of being a kicker? Because often they need that kind of guidance or whatever. How do you handle that? You know, uh, I, I think that's a kind of an inborn thing for kids. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think, and again, not kids, they're men, but uh, the guys that are really successful in the NFL, they're like corners. You know, they they miss a kick, they put, they put it behind them, they go to the next one. The guys right. that... that think about that kick, think about the miss. They're going to do something on the next one that's going to try to change that, and now they're going to miss again. And those are the guys that they don't they don't last very long in the NFL. they got to have a right. short memory. you got to go back there and trust what you do, and you got to go out there and uh, really you block everything out. And, man, you got to – it's one of the hardest jobs in football. People don't understand that, you know, if you got a choice, be a punter. Mm-hmm. You know, be a punter instead of a kicker because those kickers, man, they, they're going to win or lose four or five games a year for you. Wow. One more on punt returners. The decision whether to fair catch, return it, let it go. How tough is that to coach those guys on? Uh, it's tough, especially a young guy. You know, uh, we were practicing the other day. We had uh, Kiki out there, you know, and he had a high ball. And, shoot, he put his hand up quick to fair catch it. He goes, Coach, that ball was high. I go, well. You're going to see a lot of high balls. Right. There's a lot of good punters in this league versus college players. So mm-hmm. uh, you can't make that decision that fast. We're going to try to block them. I right. don't care how high the ball is. So wait and see if there's anybody close to you. Coach, thanks a lot for joining us. Good luck. My pleasure. Thanks, fellas. Boy, it's going to be a whole new interesting world of special teams. How innovative can teams get? How innovative can Brad Seeley get? What can you learn from other teams? How are they doing things? Very interesting times. For special teams coordinators, and obviously special teams coordinator, Brad Silly. We appreciate his time. All right. Vandermeer's View is a podcast that you can get on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn. It's part of our Texans podcast network. Mark Vandermeer, obviously, is the proprietor of that podcast. And a few weeks ago, we did a Vandermeer's View of stories from the booth. 
and, of course, from the sidelines. Some very interesting stuff from our time on a sideline or in the booth next. On Texans All Access Summer Celebration. Welcome back to our Thursday edition of Texas All Access, a summer celebration. I am your host, John Harris, football analyst and sideline reporter, and stressing the sideline reporter piece right now because Mark Vandermeer and I did a podcast a few weeks ago on stories from the booth. And that's the thing. You get to hear the broadcast. You get to see us on 360. But sometimes the show behind the show ends up being the best and most uh, fun aspect of our job. And there are times, really, we wish that you could see it or hear it. Well, we'll give you some of those right now with our stories from the booth. Stories from the broadcast booth. And in this case, we'll include the sideline because that's yes. where you live. That is. You know, it's funny that when I walked in your office and we were kind of talking about this, I had just had this idea today because we're. I took a couple of photos out of my office. Mm-hmm. In fact, our buddy Greg Condritz put this one in my office. Around our office, to give you a look behind the curtain, we have a bunch of framed photos of the team and team shots, action shots that are all over our office. Throughout history. Right. And so there was one that was over by Greg's office of Andre Howe with a pick six against mm-hmm. Jacksonville yep. in 15. Yep. And whoever took the shot just happened to be at the right angle where Andre's about to score and he's starting to kind of high step and celebrate. And I'm right behind him celebrating. Yep. And I mean, I'm clear. I mean, I'm not in focus, but it's, you know, it's me. And so that photo had been outside Greg's office. And so we're kind of recycling the photos and moving some things around and it just ended up in my office. So I was taking that home and had it in my car. And as I was driving with it, driving home, because I'm kind of moving (laughs) some things around in my home. I'm going to put it up in my house, and so I got to, I'm moving my office, and so I'm like, I'm going to put this up in my house, and it got me thinking, man, one day I'll be able to tell, you know, tell the story of, yeah. you know, I want to be able to tell the story of, you know, Andre Howe and obviously what he's going through, but tell the story of that photo and just getting excited on the sidelines, and I was like, man, it'd be cool to do like a story from the sidelines. You show up in a lot of these, though. I don't know how. Well, the, I, the, I the just, most famous or infamous or whatever is the one where DeAndre Hopkins catches the touchdown also in 2015 against Cincinnati. Yeah. So this yeah. is like a couple of weeks later or whatever. Yeah. And there you are in your uh, – you're all bundled up. It was it – was Monday not, Night Football. It was cold. It was – if you remember, that night there was a threat of rain. I And that's the one thing that I do now is look at the forecast all the time. Yeah, you you're guys, on the sideline. Yeah. You've, you've got to watch out for the elements. I watch out for it. And so I was pretty – by game time I thought, okay, maybe we've escaped this. Mm-hmm. But maybe and there was a little bit of misting at times. So yeah. anyhow, and the funny part about that play, and it was Monday night against Cincinnati, and it was six to three, and TJ had come in the game. And do you? I, I don't know if you remember this. The very first pass that he made on it that was drive, in the dirt to Ryan oh, Griffin. It was like eight feet. It was a throw of a, all of about eight yards, yep. and he threw it about ten feet short of him. I think that was the third quarter. Still, right? It was right because the they're of the going third the other way. Right, and then it flipped to the fourth quarter later on, and so he ends up making some great throws. And so on that on the touchdown throw to DeAndre. I just remember looking. I remember Bill O'Brien. His words were in my head. He's like, "When we get post safety coverage, mm-hmm. we've got to look outside." And I just remember him saying that. And so I looked out there and I saw Reggie Nelson in the middle of the field, and I saw Pac-Man on DeAndre. And so D- 
DeAndre runs by me, and I just I could I could just tell, and so I just screamed out, DeAndre, go get it! Like I knew it was coming to him. Yeah. And so then now I'm watching now I'm watching the play, and that's the shot. It's from that. It's from the end zone back mm-hmm. through DeAndre to me on the other side. And so he makes the catch, and so I can see it perfectly. And one of the things that people didn't really talk about on that was, from my angle, I could see it. DeAndre, when he came down, his foot, his right foot was tucked behind his left foot. And so he only had one foot down, and literally as he's falling, he pulls that right foot out and just taps it down. That's the incredible thing, that he's able amazing. to do that. He does that so many times, like oh, the catch against Pittsburgh. It was so amazing to see him do that, but his foot literally was caught. Right. And then he pulled it out, and I saw all that clear as day. And then, you're in the background. And I'm in the background of that shot from the end zone. So then, which is, I mean, I look like I'm seen a, I've seen a ghost or something, but I'm right there, and I have the shot on my phone. So after that, I, of course, go down near the end zone. Like, I'm, you know, pumped up. Like, yeah. Well, on Monday night games, the the can they have those rolling cameras. Most of the time for a home game, you know, I deal with it on the home sideline right. because it's on our sideline. But for a Monday night game, they have two of them. And so they have one that roams on the home side, and then they've got one that gives a different angle on the on the visitor's side. Well, Cincinnati Stadium kind of in that corner kind of kind of turns, kind of angles or, or arcs in, so it kind of closes you in a little bit more. So that thing was down there. And so as I made my way down there, what I didn't realize was as the players were celebrating and they were kind of moving that way, I was kind of moving that way that that thing had kind of pinned me in like I couldn't like get out of the way. And before I knew it, the whole throng of players, they're all right right on me. I mean, DeAndre was like from me to my computer away from me, like two feet away from me. And after the game, I was in the locker room and I saw Dwayne. And Dwayne looked up at me and got that smile on his face. He goes, I saw you. And I was like, I was like, oh, man, I'm sorry about that. He goes, no, man. He goes, I thought it was cool. But I literally got pinned by that camera because I couldn't go anywhere. Right. And once I got in there and they were celebrating, it was like we kind of converged and I couldn't go anywhere. And I was like, oh, screw it. I'm so just going to celebrate with them. This kind of turned into a meme of sorts. It did. Not a meme, really. Yes. But, but who was the Twitter follower? It was Rot. Took- Rot Rot took your image. He took my image and he put me everywhere. He put your expression because Johnny all bundled up with the ski hat on and everything, headphones on, microphone, with that look on his face. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my goodness. And he puts you in front of various historical events. I think the Berlin Wall coming down yeah. was one of them. He put me and- by the Sphinx. Uh, I mean, <laughs> he, put me, he put me everywhere. He put me... Uh, uh, court that, side for a Steph Curry three. Oh, it never gets old. I, I could, like, I could look at that stuff. It's like, it's like oh, the good man. days of crying Jordan. You know, uh, it, it took yeah. a while for crying Jordan to get old. It finally did. I know, and thank God it did. And it's kind of, it's kind of moved on. But every, but, well, now, now the the one du jour is LeBron with the. Yeah, of course. You know, <laughs> it was a tie game. It's what are you doing? So perfect. The I outstretched mean, arms. Yes. <laughs> well, you know the the whole thing with the. The Pusha T Drake diss mm-hmm. track and all that. Right. <laughs> one of the one that where they put where, where they had LeBron and they put a baby in his arms and they made J.R. Smith oh, yeah. Drake. I saw that. <laughs> I about fell off the couch. I'm that like, is man, so good. how they do it. But you know, it's funny because we've told that story. I'm sure before. I know I have about you know that game in Cincinnati. But there are so many things that happen down on the sidelines or in the booth mm-hmm. that. The, you don't you you never you never know 
you know what's happened, but it's just us that we have those stories. And I think it's I think it's really cool to kind of share some of those. And you, I mean, heck, you've been around. You've done you've done games in how many different places? And of course, the one I always ask you about is is two thousand in Miami and Florida State mm. uh, that game because I think that to me. If I did an ultimate eleven college football games that I would want to watch again before I died, that would be one of them. That was that was a hell of a game. And the Orange Bowl, by the way, that broadcast booth, I I had so much reverence for being in that place yeah. because, you know, I got that job in '99 and they had a preseason scrimmage, and I remember that was the first time I was in the Orange Bowl of any kind. I'd never mm-hmm. been to the Orange Bowl at all, so I go into the Orange Bowl booth. And I just sit down, and we weren't broadcasting. We were just kind of doing, you know, filing reports on, yeah, yeah. on the air or whatever. It wasn't a live play-by-play, but it was a scrimmage. So I'm looking in the end zone, the open end zone, which is to our right, you know, the open end of the stadium. Yep. You see the palm trees and everything and just the familiar sight you see in NFL films yeah. and Hurricanes games and all of it. You know, Super Bowls played there, Namath. And the history of the building, I mean, the hair was standing up on the back of my neck. I thought, this is an incredible place. Yeah. Now, it's a dump at the time, believe me, yeah. but it's a wonderful dump. And that's why when, when you and I go to places like the Coliseum, you know, yeah. it's a dump, but there's a lot of history there. Yeah. The Orange Bowl was a dump late in its life, but it was still, for a big game, the greatest place on earth. Yeah. For a big game like Florida State-Miami 2000, wide right three, I was so honored to call that game. Now, you know me. I dress up in the booth. You know, yeah. I don't like go black tie, but I wear a tie. Right, right. I wear a tie to the broadcast booth because I have respect for the booth, and that's just how I handle it. Yeah. I, not that I think guys are disrespectful who don't do it. That's just the way I like to handle yeah. it. I wear a tie. I wear a jacket. That's how I broadcast. Basketball, football, whatever. That's how I always do it. So my first game of the Orange Bowl was actually Florida A&M against the Hurricanes in 99, and I wear a jacket and tie. Yeah. And those guys are like, you're crazy. Yeah. Joe Zagaki, Don Bailey, you know, those those guys still do the games down there. Joe was the color guy, and Don was on the sideline at the time, dear friends of mine. They're like, you're crazy. I'm like, no, this is how I roll. Yeah. Well, by the end of the first quarter, I was practically undressed. <laughs> I mean, it's there's just something. Because it's late August or early September you're outside in Miami. In Miami oh. It's not going to work. Like, that was that's the one booth on planet Earth where I will actually wear a polo and, yeah. you know, I don't know if I was wearing shorts. Maybe I would because it's so hot in there. Like there's an air, there was an air conditioner in there, but it didn't work. Yeah. And the the booth at the Orange Bowl, when you get go out of the booth to like just go down the hallway, it's like a submarine. Like two people cannot even pass without backing up against the wall and squeaking by each other. If somebody's heavy set, you're in big trouble. Oh wow! If somebody's an attractive, never mind. Uh, you, but you definitely are in a tight situation yeah. down there. And it was just an incredible place to broadcast. Great view. I loved it there so much. And to call some, you know, really historic Miami games there for me was a huge thrill. Yeah, the the 2000 game to me, that 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 one against Florida State, because I think if there was anything that signaled Miami's return, it was going to be it was going to be that one. Right. And I, the one thing I, one of the first things I asked you, we you know got to got to know each other. Well, you guys call wide right three, which is for for those people that don't follow college football. Wi- the words wide right, as soon as you mention them, everybody knows you're talking Miami, Florida State. Right. As great as that rivalry is for all the players that have come out of there, as soon as you say wide right, all of a sudden it is. Oh, you know exactly what it is. The, and it started the, those in ninety one. Games live on. I mean, oh. And you had one in 2000. That game ended up being a wide it, right. And game. you know what? I knew it. Like this is another story from the booth. So. As Florida State is driving down, 
because Miami took the lead on Dorsey to Shockey. Yep. Chris Wenke has the ball one more time, and right. we're thinking, oh, my gosh, here we go. And he sets him up for a long field goal attempt. And I'm thinking, if this goes wide right, yeah. i got to be able to call it wide right. right. I mean, i got to call it. And you know how – Because that it, is so iconic to that rivalry. And for those who don't know, when we're doing any kind of football – all right, so we're doing Texans games. I cannot – and this is a play-by-play thing. You could not tell if it's wide right, left, or down the middle mm-hmm. if you are calling a game from the booth sideline. You just can't tell. It's right. very – it's extremely difficult – you have. I learned early on in my career. You wait for the men in stripes to put their arms up to to say it's good. You just wait. Right. Or if the crowd's going nuts, you have a feeling, but I still wait. Right. Because what if it's like over the upright and some people are cheering and some people aren't, or you're on the road and they're right. cheering because you missed it, or they think you missed it but right. you didn't really miss it. I wait for the guys to tell me the guys who matter, the guys who call the play. Now you are in the end zone, right? Right. Very often. Not all the time, not every field goal, but right. a lot of field goals when it's an obvious situation and you know they're setting up for it, you'll get down there. And you can tell me too. Right. But I still kind of wait for the guy. Right. You know, like uh, Randy Bullock against uh, well, you know, Cincinnati. It's Christmas Eve <laughs> you, 2016. You were waiting for me, and I was already out on the field celebrating. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, I was like, Johnny didn't say anything. I didn't say anything. <laughs> you because ran onto the field. It's <laughs> another Johnny moment. In that, in that game... In that game, the Christmas Eve game of 2016, and this is a story from the sidelines now. So the Bengals move down. Rex Burkhead has made a number of catches, and it comes down to Randy Bullock. I think we all know that. And Randy misses the kick. But as I'm walking down there, we're in, and we're in a break, we're in a timeout, and we're t- and the three of us are all talking. And that's that's one other thing is during breaks – we can all, the three of us can all talk to each other. And That's of course, the greatest Robert show Jones, on earth right there. It's, it's The fantastic. greatest show on earth that nobody hears it's, is it's, what we say during commercials. I mean, we could we could probably make a killing with having people, charging people for it. So anyways, we're talking about this and we're like, it's coming down the Randy Bullock to beat us, keep us <laughs> out of it. We're, we're losing it. So as we're getting we're getting down there, and, there, and I, I moved down in the end zone knowing that this thing is coming down to it. And, and, and it hits me. It's Christmas Eve. He's going to ruin Christmas. A former Texan. I can't, I can't do this. Now, normally what I do is I stand pretty much right by the goalpost or in between the upright and the goalpost. I couldn't bring myself to do it because I did not want to watch that ball go over my head and going through. I just couldn't oh. do it. So I stood outside the upright. I stood outside. Maybe you should the do that every time. I, know, maybe I, I think you pulled the ball over there toward your gravitational I, I, pull. All of a sudden, I see that ball kicked over my head, and I just it was like equal parts froze. My mouth didn't say anything, mm-hmm. and I I knew he missed it, and I just took off running. I took off running, and the first person I ended up seeing was DeAndre because he had been put out there for the block. Oh yeah, he went out there for the block, and that. I think kind of threw them off because at that time in 2016, you could oh, still yeah. hop over the, the center. Right. And so I think Bullock, if you remember, Didn't he, they hesitate? he hesitated. And so I think that obviously threw him off. He pushed it to the right, to my left. And see, that's a difficulty for me because I've told you right when it actually is left. I got to right. reverse it. And so I didn't have the time to think this is going left. That's actually wide right. And so I just said nothing. Mm-hmm. I just took off. And you're oh. like, where were you? I was like, uh, I, I, I didn't want to mess you up. That was one of those nights. Nice. I heard the crowd start to erupt, but you have a, as a play-by-play guy, you have a split second. I mean, a yeah. microsecond yeah. to wait, and I knew it was no good. And, you know, they were going nuts in that uh, and south end zone. And if it's no zone. good, it's, it's a call that you got to then follow up with. 
the Texans have won the AFC South, right. so that's going to be one that lives on for a while. Right, and, and you got to be ready for those moments. And I hate, I hate saying anything while you're in your backswing, if you will. Yeah, like I, I hate that. That's like one of my well, biggest pet peeves. I really appreciate that because that, that can And so throw I just said off. nothing, and I went to celebrate with DeAndre, and somebody caught it on video, and you played it for me the next day, and you're like, well, this is what my sideline reporter does at the end of the game. <laughs> yeah, I was pretty hyped for that game. Christmas Eve, night ball game. Can you get the W? Can you win the AFC South? Had gotten some help from the Titans and Jaguars that day. You know, one of the funny stories that I have about that day was I was at home, and we were getting all cleaned up for for Christmas Eve and Christmas, and we were just kind of putting final pieces together of everything. And so we were kind of cleaning up the house, getting everything ready for, for the next day and everything. And so as we were, we had TVs on throughout the house. And so I was working in the living room, and I had on the, the Titans-Jaguars game because that local game was on. Little did I know, my wife had it on in the kitchen. She was working in the kitchen. I was in the living room. And I would just hear, like, these exclamations like, oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. And I'm like, what is going on in there? I walk in there, and she's watching the Titans-Jaguars game. (laughs) I was like, when would she have ever watched that? And then when the Titans got beat, Jaguars pulled that off. Then it was up to the Texans. She was so excited. She's like, oh, okay, so tell me what happens. If you win tonight, you're in a place. And she wanted the whole breakdown. It was really cool. And I will never forget that Christmas for as long as I live. That was a special one. And then, of course, celebrating with DeAndre after the game was over. That was that was pretty wild. But either way, some stories from the booth. We'll have plenty more of those. We got we we have a bunch. There's no question. So we'll do a couple more of those podcasts. Vandermeer's View. Get it on iTunes, Stitcher. Tune in anywhere you can get it. You can get it there. Wherever you get your podcast, that's your place to go. All right, coming up next, Roland Ramirez. A name maybe you don't know. He is the senior rehabilitation specialist here for the Texans, also associate head trainer, one of the best dudes you're going to find. He did a very interesting podcast with D.P. Sidhu. We'll have that for you next on Texans All Access Summer Celebration. One final segment of Texans All Access, summer celebration on this Thursday evening. I'm your host, John Harris. Glad to be with you. We have had Brad Seeley, special teams coordinator on the show. Last segment, we had stories from the booth eh, and the sidelines with me and Mark Vandermeer. It's been a it's been a tremendous run the last four years. We've had a number of great games to call, some playoff games. We've always said, between Mark Andre and myself, that the show off the air might be better than the show on the air. And the on the air show, I think, is pretty good between the three of us doing Texans broadcast. So we gave you some of the stories from the booth. And there's more to that podcast. If you go to Vandermeer's View on our Houston Texans podcast network, you got In the Lab, you got Deep Slant, you got Vandermeer's View, you got all Texans All Access, you got it all right there. Go find the one stories from the booth. It was about a half hour podcast, so I only gave you about 12, 13 minutes of it right there. So you can hear the rest of it. Some great stuff from both Mark and hopefully from myself. Now, Roland Ramirez might not be a name you're familiar with, but you are familiar with guys like Jadevion Clowney, J.J. Watt, Deshaun Watson. Well, who is the man responsible for putting those players back together again, if you will? Well, it's Roland Ramirez. He has rehabbed some of the best and brightest in this building and many others, and he is a top-notch A-plus dude. We did the All-American Dude Draft yesterday, 
And Roland Ramirez would fall in that category. He is a true dude. He is awesome. He's such a great guy. And I remember meeting him in 2014, and I wrote about him. And he didn't quite know who I was because I was new to the organization, and I was part-time. Not part-time, but I was not a a full-time employee. But I wrote about him, and I, I happened to see him, and I said, hey, I wrote about you. Having you know, doing his rehab work, and he didn't really know who I was. He said, "And you are?" And I said, yeah, "I'm John Harris." I said, "You'll get." To, he never forgot my name since. He has always met me and greeted me with a smile. He is great with the players. He's a motivator. He's a coach. He pushes them. He supports them, and he gets these players back ready to go. And he's had his hands full this off season. But he tells us in this podcast that there was a season that actually was worse. Then this last one for the Houston Texans. Worse, yes. Take a listen to Roland Ramirez with DB Sidhu. 11 seasons in the NFL. You've worked with the Falcons, the Titans, and with the Texans ever since I've been here, at least. Roland, first of all, you deal with rehab and the injuries, and everyone knows what this team went through last year. But how different is this process for professional athletes versus the average person wanting to rehab from an injury? Great question. The guys at, at this level, you know, first of all, are – they're elite athletes, you know, they're, they're superior athletes and the best in the world with this sport. As far as, you know, injuries go, I mean, these guys are just highly motivated, so determined to get back, and, and their mentality is just a lot of times unmatched in, in what they do. And so as I progress them in their rehabs and challenge them with new things and new goals, new milestones as we, you know, proceed through the rehab process, a lot of times – they challenge me as much as I challenge them. And so that that forces me to be creative in my exercises, um, keep them engaged, and, and we see these guys on a daily basis for hours and hours a day. Sometimes it's four hours a day. Sometimes it's eight hours a day, depending on the injury and what they have going on with their daily schedules. But in, in, the, in the real world and what people do outside of here, you might, you might have therapy, you might have rehab, uh, two or three times a week, and uh, maybe an hour or two hours max, unless they're at a some kind of sports performance place. And you know, they're no offense to any weekend warriors or people that that get injured. Um, they are definitely determined to get back to their daily and active lifestyle. Um, but it's just different here, and and with these guys, with with their mentality, and um, you know what they have to to get back to to be able to compete at a high level. Um, and, and for me to be involved in that process and help them through that process is, is pretty special. And so it's just it's just different, you know, because I get to spend so much time with these guys. You're like the first point of contact for a lot of these players, especially the guys in rehab. They see you every day for hours on end. And I know that with players returning from injury, a lot of times they talk about how they go through this emotional roller coaster. You know, will I ever be able to play again? If I do play, will I be the same again? How much of your job is not just the rehab, but being like a mental coach to these players to bring them back and, and make sure that they stay positive throughout the whole process. Sure. No, that, that plays a big factor. And, you know, that's something that, um, you know, I tried to really help them out with. Um, a lot of these, a lot of times, I mean, these guys have families or, um, you know, they have little ones at home that they, they're having to, to take care of and, and their spouse. And so when they have a, a big injury, a significant injury, that, that's a hit to them and, and they start worrying about, maybe their family situation or am I ever going to play again? And, and those are all legitimate questions. And, and so we are sometimes the first point of contact. There's no doubt about it. And, and if they need surgery, then, then we just 
you know, we try to help them through that process, make it as seamless as possible, try to, um, you know, guide them through that and counsel them through that. And, and even when they, you know, return from the hospital and, and they're back with us starting the, you know, initial stage of rehab, uh, it's just coaching them up and, and being positive and you're going to get back, you know, and try to just, you know, really um, infiltrate them with positive reinforcement and, and really just try to help them along because it is, it's a crushing blow, you know, to these guys when they have these kind of injuries. And so just, helping them through that and telling them to take it day by day and week by week and month by month. And they'll be out running before they know it. And they'll be out playing football before they know it again. So uh, just trying to help them through that process is definitely a, a big part of, of what we do. And, and you have to empathize with them. Um, and, and sometimes you just have to, you have to be able to coach them through like, this is normal. You know, what you're feeling right now with your soreness is, is normal. We just got to keep pushing. Do you give other examples so, of, Oh, when so-and-so went through a similar injury or was having the same mindset, like, you're able to rely a lot on your, your experience with the other players. Absolutely. Too, right? Absolutely. Yes. And, and we, I got to think that'd be so helpful. It is. It is. And we, you know, if, especially if it's a guy that they played with before, you know, and be able to say, Hey, this guy had this same situation or when he, you know, had this injury, you know, then, then we're able to share those examples and, you know, kind of share that experience with them. And then they, they start, it starts to click with them and like, all right, I, I got it. Yeah. Okay. This is normal. And I can keep going. A few years ago, Hard Knocks was here and one of the mm-hmm. episodes focused on Jadevian Clowney coming back from that microfracture surgery that everyone was talking about. How will he come back? What will he look like when he comes back from it? And in that particular episode, he thanked you and talked about everything that you had done for him to get him back on the field. Did you get a chance to see that, and, and what was that like for you professionally? I know you guys work behind the scenes so tirelessly, but to have a player actually come out and say that, that had to have meant a lot. Yeah, no, it, it was special, and that, that was uh, it was neat for to hear that from Clowney. And, and you know, we're, we're definitely behind the scenes, and, and you know, we, we never ask for that, and we don't. that's not what we seek. And, and, you know, we're here for the players and try to help them out as much as possible and, and, and try to help these guys get back to, to playing football and helping us as a football team and, and win football games. Um, but to hear that in those special moments and, and Clowney and, and others have have thanked us for for what we've done. And, and it's just it's we're really grateful for that. And, and it's an honor to be uh, named, you know, and, and thank like that um, and appreciated like that. And, and I, I know JJ's done the same thing. And so, you know, we're always we're grateful for that. Never, never really seeking that. But um, it, it is special when when they when they do acknowledge it and, and appreciate us for for all the hours we've kind of put in with them. But, um, you know, our, our glory comes from watching these guys get back to playing football and doing what they do, and that's that's what's special for us. All right, we're talking with Roland Ramirez, Director of Rehabilitation, Associate Head Athletic Trainer for the Houston Texans. I mentioned that you worked for a number of other teams, and last year with all the injuries that this team went through, I don't think any, anybody had seen anything like it, especially here in Houston. Was that the toughest year for you professionally, all the injuries, or have you been through a tougher season than that? in your profession? You know, although it was a tough season last year, um, I have, a, I've actually been through a tougher one. You have, I have, um, you know, last, last year, well, last year with the hurricane and then all the injuries, yeah, I mean, it was just one the, thing on the top hurricane of another. would definitely added, added something to it. And, uh, you know, with us being in Dallas and my family here and, right. uh, it, it was definitely a, a difficult task and, and very challenging. And then the injuries that we had, especially to the key players, but, uh, one that, that tops it in in my opinion was when I was with the Falcons uh, back in uh, this was in 2007 and um, so it was 
it was the year that uh, we had Michael Vick was oh, right. with the dogfighting case mm-hmm. and Bobby Petrino leaving the team. And, um, you know, uh, on top of that, from a medical standpoint, I think we had six ACLs that year. Wow. Um, I, we had a couple ruptured pec tendons, uh, a ruptured quad uh, from, I, I think we had about 23 surgeries, you know, in that year. And so that to me with, with all the other <laughs> circumstances uh, and the protesting and the things that happened, that, that was, I've, I've told myself since then, if I could get through that year, I can get through anything. That's a good attitude to have. And you so. definitely don't want to break that record. Let that no. be, let that be your toughest year. We never want to right. surpass that. Now I, right? I never wish hurricanes upon any of us of again, course not. Right. but, uh, but that, that was definitely a challenging year from a medical standpoint. And then the other, you know, situations and your head ball coach leaving and everything else. So. All right. So on the flip side, what are some of your proudest moments being in this field? Um, I imagine it's got to be when you see a player run back on the on the field healthy yes. after going through a long rehab process. But is there anyone that stands out in your mind particularly? You know, one that stands out is maybe Cushing. You know, after he, he came back uh, from his ACL rehab and uh, it was a Monday night game to, to open a – I think it was to open the season in San Diego – Right, um, in 2013. I don't know if you were here for that. Yeah, yep, that was my first game, the second of the late-night West Coast doubleheaders. That's right, that's right. the pick six. And unfortunately, that was one of our few wins that year. But that was right? definitely a highlight but of the season. That was a yeah. highlight of the season. And so when, I think it was to tie the ball game, right, when he intercepted it yeah. and took it in for a touchdown. And uh, I remember bumping one of our guys and said, you know, that's why we do rehab right there, you know. And that's so that amazing. was a special moment with all the work that we put in and he put in especially. And, and to – to have that happen, you know, on Monday night game and, and to, to go in uh, with a pick six, that was that was special. That was fun. That, that was definitely special. Yeah. I was also going to mention David Questenberry. I know that was Jeff Kaplan yep. was out there yep. in OTAs, yep. and that was also very recently. But to diagnose right. him, and, and we all know his story going through non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, but right. being able to ring the bell and then come back and then make that start. Sure, no. Um, or at least see action on Christmas Day against yeah. the Steelers. Yeah, absolutely. And I was going to mention that as well. I mean, you know, Questenberry and the battle that, that he had, um, you know, it's just incredible. And, uh, you know, to see him, you know, get the pads on again and, and go out and do his thing at practice and, uh, you know, do it in the game. And it, those are just very, very special moments. And to see these guys, I mean, the list goes on and on with, with the guys that have uh, some pretty big injuries and are able to, to come back and, and just to be able to help them through that process and then eventually get out, and, you know, onto that field and get their names called and run through that tunnel. Um, that that's what that's what we kind of live for, and and that's what's special, you know. And and when they, uh, uh, you know, just we always appreciate their hard work, and uh, and I know that deep down inside they uh, they appreciate what we do, and and that's we're just we're thankful for that, and we're in a we're in a really neat position to be able to just help them through that process, and that's where we get our glory is when these guys can return and and do their thing. And there you have it, Roland Ramirez, Brad Seely. Stories from the booth. It's been a great Thursday show on our summer celebration week right here on Texans Radio. Tomorrow, it's Bill O'Brien. Everything but the Texans. Mark Vandermeer and I had a chance to catch up with the head coach before the break and talk about everything but the Texans. It's a great show. We'll have that for you tomorrow. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Have a great night. We'll see you then. And as always, go Texans.